0: Uh, Great to be with you tonight. We are in the second week of our One Another series, and if you're kind of new to Element City Church, what we typically do is we take a few weeks, uh, or sometimes a few months, and we either, we go through a book of the Bible, that's what we just uh, came off of, our series in Ecclesiastes, or sometimes we'll take the same theme or topic and we'll look at it across uh, kind of multiple books of the Bible and that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at a group of verses that are oftentimes referred to as the one another verses. These are verses that uh, either from the sayings of Jesus in the gospels or from the writers of the New Testament, they are sayings that talk about how we as Christians are to treat one another. And so, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, what we're going to talk about, and what we talked about last week, and in the following weeks, this is not optional for you. It's not optional for me. But even if you're here and you're not a Christian, even if you would say, you know, I, I'm just not really sure, uh, kind of where I'm at. I'm not sure uh, what I believe about Jesus. I, I like what I see. I like uh, his teachings. I like his message of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. But there's just something in me that I'm just not ready to kind of turn my life over to him. I'm not ready to trust him, and uh, in his death and resurrection, uh, f- to be the payment for my sins. I'm not ready to make him my Lord and savior. Even if that's you, I think you'll find that what we're going to talk about in this series is still helpful because these principles are incredible. If you think about it, all of the problems that our world faces, would pretty much be solved if we just practiced the one another's together. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And so last week, Kimberly started, and, and she talked about this idea of love one another. And she, there's this verse in John. It's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. He gathers his followers, his disciples together, and he says, A new command I give you, that you ought to love one another as I've loved you. And what was new about this command was not the idea that they were to love one another. That had always been true. What was new was the way in which they were to love one another, the depth of their love for one another, the selfless, sacrificial love, which at the moment Jesus said it, they could comprehend somewhat what he meant. But in the days and weeks that followed as they watched him give up his life as they, and watched him come back to life, as they began to realize that what he had done was for their benefit, that he had died on the cross for their sins, that it began to sink into them. Oh my goodness. This is a totally new way that we have been called to love one another. And I think all of us would agree that our world would be a better place if we took the focus off of ourselves and our own problems and we uh, selflessly and sacrificially loved the people around us. What makes the one another verses so incredible and so important for us today is that they kind of stand in contrast to the culture in which we find ourselves, especially kind of as Americans. We live in a culture that is all about the self. We are a uh, self-praising, self-exalting, self-serving, selfie-taking society, right? I mean, even from the the earliest ages, you know, you you have, I have my four-year-old, and she'll take her phone, and she'll take a picture of herself, and she knows that that's called a, a selfie, when she takes mommy or daddy's phone and she takes a picture of herself. And it's like from the earliest ages, we understand this notion of the self and everything in our culture is built around this idea that it's all about me. It's all about what I want. If you go and you read the self-help books uh, at Barnes and Noble, the self-help books uh, for the most part are focused on you what do you need to do? What changes do you need to make to better your life? How can you be true to yourself? Because it's all about making you happier. It's not about putting the attention on others. Or if it is, that's always secondary to yourself. But Jesus, he flips that notion on its head and he says, no, you are to love one another as I have loved you. You are to put the needs of others ahead of your own needs. And when you do this, it's by this that everyone will know that you're my followers. See, when these habits, these one others, when they become a part of our lives, people start to take notice. And they start to take notice for the right reasons. Maybe the reason that you haven't become a Christian, you haven't crossed that line of faith, put the flag in the ground and said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus is because you like Jesus, but you're just not all that fond of his followers. You're not all that fond of the people that, that claim to be Christians, that claim to be followers of Jesus. And I think that the biggest reason for that is that we have not, as Christians, practice, practiced the one another's with one another the way that we ought to. We have not prioritized the one and others. We know they exist, but we haven't taken them to heart. We haven't actually put them into practice. But as Christianity gets uh, kind of pushed out to the margins more and more in our society, what is going to get people's attention, what is going to make people curious about Christianity is not that we're going to give them an amazing presentation of the gospel, although we need to do that what is going to first catch their eye is the way that we treat them and the way that we treat one another. That they're going to look at us and say, you know, I'm just not sure that I believe everything they believe, but man, do they love each other. I'm just not sure that I'm ready to take that step and trust in Jesus, but you know what? Those Christians, they sure forgive one another they're generous to one another. They serve one another. They put one another's needs ahead of their own. See, it's only in that context that Christianity will begin to again gain traction. The days of, of quote unquote cultural Christianity for us as Americans are long gone. And what is now going to be the norm, what is going to be the way that we take our faith to the world and we get people's attention is by the way that we practice the one another's with one another. That's why it's so important that we talk about these verses, that we talk about what they mean and how they apply to our lives. And tonight, our one another is encourage one another. And typically, when you think of encouraging other people, uh, you think of kind of building them up when they're down you're lifting them up with an encouraging word. Someone's going through a difficult time, uh, maybe the death of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job, something is just, their relationship has gone kind of amiss and you just, you kind of come alongside them and you put your arm around them and you just, you kind of love on them and you just tell them everything's gonna be okay and you encourage them and you pray for them. And that's kind of what we often think of when we think of encouragement and that is certainly one aspect of encouragement. But that's not all that encouragement entails. Encouragement is more than that. As we're gonna see tonight, encouragement is something that we can do for people when uh, times are tough, and encouragement is something that we can do for people when things are going great. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews has to say. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, just a couple of verses tonight. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now we're we're dropping in here kind of on the middle of a discussion. And so for the first part of the letter, the writer has talked about the superiority of Jesus. He has talked about how Jesus is the superior high priest. He's superior to the priests of the Old Testament, that the sacrifice Jesus offered, it's a sacrifice that's superior to the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. Jesus offered one sacrifice for all time, whereas the sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be offered year after year after year. He talks about how the the new covenant, that's just a, a word that means a new arrangement, a new agreement. The new arrangement between God and man, the new covenant that Jesus inaugurates is superior in every way to the old covenant. And for the, for the first century audience that's reading this, many of them came from a Jewish background. And so you have to realize that, that this kind of idea that Jesus is superior to everything they've ever known and thought and been taught that's kind of flipping everything on its head. And so they're kind of trying to get their bearings and they're saying, okay, now what? And the writer says, okay, as a result of this, as a result of the fact of what Jesus has done, this is what you are to do. And he speaks to us today and he says, this is what we as Christians living in 2015, In Tucson, Arizona, this is what we ought to do as a result of what Jesus has done. He says, let us consider, let us take thought of, let us uh, be mindful of, give conscious thought to how we can encourage one another and kind of push one another toward love and good deeds, to live out what we talked about last week, to live out this idea of loving one another the same way that our Savior has loved us. Sometimes we do this and we encourage people uh, to love through gentle reminders. Sometimes we uh, have to have uncomfortable conversations. Every parent knows what it's like to have to sit down and kind of talk to your kids and and it's going to, you know, things aren't going to go well. But you have to do it. We call it tough love because it's for their best. We know what it's like to have people speak into our lives because they want the best for us. That's what it's talking about. You're, you're spurring. There's kind of a, you're, you're prodding, you're poking, you're pushing people on towards love that expresses itself in good deeds. See, so believers, we're called to live in such a way that, that we are willing and available uh, to do what the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That we're to be available to, to challenge one another and encourage one another to live in a way that's consistent with our faith. Encouragement is not just about the words we say. Encouragement is about nudging each other forward. And encouraging one another toward love that expresses itself in good deeds love that expresses itself through uh, selfless and sacrificial service that's part of what it means to encourage one another do you see it's it's more than just lifting people up when they're down that it's really a, a state of being it's something that we're to constantly be doing that we're to constantly be encouraging one another and kind of pushing each other to be all that God would have us to be. Because the goal of encouragement, the goal of encouragement is to help one another live in such a way that we become more and more like Jesus. The goal of encouragement is to help one another be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That phrase in Romans, it means that, that more and more We're to look like Jesus, we're to live like he lived, we're to love the way that he loved. And that as we do that, that we actually play a role in helping each other grow and in helping each other mature and in helping each other become all that God has for us to be. Encouragement is much more than just offering someone uh, a pat on the back or some encouraging words when times are tough. Encouragement is about nudging people forward towards love that expresses itself in good deeds. And it has a very specific goal in mind, that you and I might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that more and more our lives will reflect his life, that we would live the way he lived, that we would love the way he loved. And so with that in mind, what we have to then think about is, well, what does that mean? How do we practice this kind of encouragement with one another? How do we practice this kind of encouragement that says, you know what, I'm going to come alongside you, and you're going to come alongside me, and we're going to help each other out. We're going to push each other forward. We're going to encourage, spur each other on to live a life of love that's reflected through our actions. And there's several ways we do that. One of them we see right here in the verses we just read, that we gather regularly with other believers. Encouragement requires physical presence. And this is really important in our day. See, it's interesting. uh, In verse 25, there's kind of an opposite. And the opposite of, of not meeting together is encouraging one another. And you read that and you say, well, that's kind of a strange contrast. I would think that, that the opposite of not encouraging someone is putting them down or maybe just ignoring them. But here's the reality. You and I cannot encourage other people if we do not regularly meet together. With them, see, there was this. Uh, there's hints kind of throughout the book of Hebrews that some of the Christians in the first century, probably because the they thought the return of Jesus was about to happen, and then it wasn't happening, and they were starting to wonder. So they just they kind of started to go their own way. They kind of started to maybe do their own thing. They kind of started to to stray. They they didn't participate in the regular gathering of the believers. They. They didn't go to church anymore, would be the way that we would say it in our culture today. And I think it's interesting because as you look and as, as church attendance declines, it's not just that church attendance is declining, it's that church involvement is declining. That more and more people kind of take a, a consumer approach to the local church. And they say, I'll just I'll go when I feel like it. I'll go and I'll consume it, and, and if it's not convenient for me, I'll just I won't do that. But the reality is that you cannot practice the one and others that we're going to talk about in this series. You cannot practice any of them without being physically present on a regular basis. And people say, well, so what's a, what's a regular basis, right? You know, like how many times a week do I have to go? Or, you know, and I, just, I don't think that's a helpful question. Because I think when we ask that question, what we tend to do is we tend to look at it from the perspective of, uh, well, I just need to know how to schedule this. It just becomes something else we do. I got to build it into my calendar, make sure that I have time for it. And, and I just don't think that's the, the point, because it's not just about being physically present. It's about engaging with people and their lives. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. The bottom line is, and this is, I think, what we should be doing. Instead of asking ourselves, I don't know, how often do I have to go to church or how often do I have to meet with other people? What we really ought to do is we ought to evaluate our lives and we ought to ask ourselves the question, why am I not regularly gathering with others? What's keeping me from doing that? Is my calendar too full? Have I gotten my priorities out of whack? Am I putting my children in activities that maybe conflict with when church happens, or maybe they conflict with gathering with people in a kind of a small group setting, what we call e groups, maybe during the week? What is it that's keeping me from regularly gathering? Am I just, am I tired? Am I mismanaging my time? Come at it from that angle and ask ourselves that question. Because if we're going to encourage one another, the way that Scripture calls us to encourage one another, we have to regularly gather with other believers. We have to be physically present. But it's not enough to just be physically present. In addition to that, we have to actually engage with people. Encouragement requires engagement. And this is just, this is just building on this idea that once we get together, once we meet together, we have to get ourselves in environments where we can actually engage with and interact with other people to find out kind of what's going on in their lives, find out how we can be praying for them, find out uh, how we can maybe help them out. We have to actually engage with people once we're present with them. And that may seem obvious, but this is a tough one because it's so easy to be physically present and mentally absent either because we just don't care or we're distracted. I know I struggle with this one. I'll be physically present and mentally uh, absent, just off in my own world, thinking about something else, thinking about one of my problems, one of my concerns, or, um, you know, I'm just not all that concerned with what's going on in front of me. Or maybe we'll be physically present, but then we're doing this, right? You ever been in this setting? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, I heard you what I say. You said words. (laughs) Words. Yeah. I did not just reenact my home life. Um, Here's the thing. Cell phones are amazing, right? Uh, They keep us connected. They're fascinating too because extroverts and introverts love them. Right? Extroverts love their phone because it keeps them connected. You can have 5,000 friends on Facebook. You can interact with people all over the world, people you've never met with. Man, extroverts love their phones. They stay connected. Introverts, we like our phones because they give us a social barrier when things get awkward. So if you're ever in a conversation with me and I'm just kind of like, things got awkward, right? Here's, here's the thing. And we joke about it and we make light about it. But more and more, we're losing the idea of physical presence in our culture. You can do everything online. You don't have to go shopping. You don't even, and some people would say, you don't even have to go to church anymore. You can just watch it online. When you read the New Testament though, there is absolutely no category for a world in which Christians live physically isolated from one another. And the reason why is that you cannot engage with people in a meaningful way if you are not physically present. See, in order to engage and really encourage someone, you have to actually know what's going on in their lives. You have to know a little bit about their personality. You have to know how to best come alongside them and offer them encouragement. And if there's ever gonna be a time where you're gonna speak maybe a hard truth in love to someone, then you better have a relationship with that person. And that's why not only do we have to regularly gather together with one another, but we have to actually engage with one another. Finally, we encourage one another by pointing back to our source of hope. That encouragement is about offering people hope-filled reminders. Reminders that despite the circumstances they may be facing, that the world as we know it today is not the world that we are going to live in forever. And this is a delicate one. Don't be Bible verse guy. As soon as somebody's going through a tough time, you're racking your brain trying to figure out a Bible verse to, you know, to share with them. Just listen. Just mourn with them. Comfort them. Just be a friend. But when the time is right, offer them a hope-filled reminder that the world as we know it today is not the world that we'll always live in. It's interesting, in the New Testament, uh, there are several occasions where the authors, they call for Christians to encourage one another, and it's in the context of Jesus' second coming. Right here in this verse, it says we're to encourage one another and all the more as you see the, the day approaching. Your translation, day, might be capitalized. It's a reference to the day of the Lord. The day when Christ returns. That today, we are one day closer than we were yesterday to Jesus' second coming. And as a result, we ought to be more encouraging today. We're to encourage one another all the more, so increasingly, with every passing day that Christ's return is a source of hope and a source of comfort. And and we were just reminded of that two days ago because we were reminded of the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world, a world where sin and evil exist in ways that are difficult to comprehend. And as Christians, we should be people who mourn with those who mourn. We should comfort the hurting. We should come alongside them and we should pray for them but we should also be people who are filled with hope because we serve a savior who conquered death and who's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's coming back uh, as John, the apostle John saw it in Revelation. He looks and he sees uh, Jesus. He's having this vision And the only way he knows how to describe it is he says it's like he was on a horse. And he had a sword coming out of his mouth. And he had almost like tattoos written on his thighs. Robe dipped in blood. And he's coming this time to judge. But after he judges, he says, I'm going to make all things That's why we have hope. We have hope because the world as we know it today, this broken and busted up place is not the world that we will always live in. There will be a day when all things will be made new, when wrongs will be righted, when justice will be done and the world will be as God intends for it to be. And in that day, we'll have nothing left to do but to fall down and to worship. So encourage one another with that. Encourage one another with the hope that we have through our relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing about encouragement, and then we'll be done. It's not that we don't know encouragement is something we need to do. Right? Now, nobody says, ah, you know, I really don't know if I should encourage someone. I, I, I don't know if that's a good idea to encourage people. Right? We, you know, encouragement is pretty much universally agreed. It's a good thing. The problem is we don't do it. And I think the reason we do it is because we just get so preoccupied with our own problems and our own junk and everything that's going on in our lives that we don't take the time to, to look to the people around us and to see what they're going through see the struggles that they're facing. But what if that changed? I mean, what if we as Element City Church said, you know what? We're going to be a place where we encourage one another, where we come alongside each other, where we actually engage in relationships, find out what's going on in people's lives, that we love them tangibly and we serve them with, with our actions. What if we became... A place that did that? What if we did that in our community? Just imagine the, the difference that would make. Imagine the difference it would make uh, in the in the lives of the people that we come in contact with. If we practiced these one another's. If we just said, you know what? I'm gonna encourage them today. I'm gonna come alongside them, I'm gonna find out what's going on, I'm gonna find out if there's a way I can help. Maybe I'll pray for them and maybe maybe I'll even offer them a word or two of hope. What if we became a place that did that. Wouldn't it be awesome to be a part of a community like that? So let's do it. Let's encourage one another, and all the more as we look forward to the return of our Savior. Heavenly Father, we are um, we're here, and we just, we need you. We need your Spirit to strengthen us, and to in, to guide us and to help us to be sensitive uh, when we ought to encourage others and how best to encourage others. Pray that you would help that to be something that becomes a part of our community. And Father, as we take uh, this time now to remember the death of your son, Jesus, to take the bread representing his broken body, to uh, take the little cup of juice representing his blood, That was shed for us. As we take that together, may we be reminded that that we're brothers and sisters and that we're to love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, carry one another's burdens. All of those incredible principles that you've invited us to